This week on Blue 58, we make an announcement. I get something off my chest and is no news good news? And we talk about who's a project player on this year's version of the Packers. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to Blue 58, the official podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, joined by co-host Gary Zillaby. Gary, how are we doing tonight? It's a great day to be great, John. A great day indeed, and right off the bat, we've got a bit of an announcement. Gary took a brief hiatus earlier this summer, and we're going to actually be moving Gary into a bit of a different role here at uh, at Blue 58 and thepowersweep.com. More of an off-air role, but Gary's going to be involved in some stuff behind the scenes uh, like what exactly, Gary? What are you What are you going to be working on? What's the first thing on your plate? Well, you'll remember last time I toured the Italian countryside. Uh, so, so now um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back for France. Uh, but, but in Packer world, I'll be taking a look at uh, some some longer pieces and trying to uh, bring some content to you, the reader and the listeners of Blue Fifty Eight, uh, that that um, excites and energizes you. Yeah, and we're really trying with this entire project, I mean, to not have this be a full-time job. And there's a lot of time involved behind the scenes in what uh, what we do. And, and a lot of that falls on Gary, making sure the website looks great, make sure our graphics look awesome, as they always do. And we want to give Gary the opportunity to focus on, on the things that he does best. So that's what we're going to have, have him be doing. So that's what Gary will be doing from here on out. And there will be some changes with the podcast, but... Uh, we're going to keep those under wraps a little bit for the for the next couple of weeks. But I guess they're they're not a huge secret. We're going to focus more on on interviews and getting some a rotating cast of of co-hosts and guests in here as well. Uh, so that's going to be the focus of the podcast going forward. But we we love Gary for all that he's done, and and we will miss him here every week on Blue Fifty Eight. But Gary, moving on to our next little headline announcement here, I, I have to get something off my chest. I'm I'm a little bit tired uh, with the world. Of, of NFL media in the preseason, you know that, that preseason games are, are not super meaningful or, or in-depth. Uh, but, man, over the last week or so, people have taken it to another level. It's impossible to just let anybody else enjoy things on the Internet anymore. And this has really reared its head, I think, in preseason football because so many professional NFL writers and, and NFL commentators are out there telling people not to enjoy the preseason or overreact to the preseason. And they're right, but you don't have to say that. And I wrote a piece this week on on thepowersweep.com highlighting one guy in particular. His name is Nick Canepa, and he works for a paper out in San Diego. He wrote last week during the Packers game, if you are raving over a player or a play in an exhibition game, please, for the sake of the human race, stop. And I don't know what your take is, but I would like Nick to go into his house, find the room with the toilet in it, probably a bathroom someplace, look at the guy who's there, look that guy right in the eye, and tell him to just chill the heck out. It doesn't matter. It's just the preseason. Let people watch the games however they want. What are your thoughts? I agree with you, John. I think that there is such a a, a claim... A- Everybody wants to have a take and the preseason is, is pretty ripe for that environment. And I, I heard this week, a story of a quarterback who, who uh, was a rookie and came out his first game and threw a couple of touchdown passes and had a high completion percentage and coaches afterwards, you know, and the media were just praising how great this quarterback was when 
in reality, you know, the quarterback years later would say uh, the the defense was was running the same play every time. We ran the same play offensively every time. I just had to look one spot and throw the ball in that one spot. And as a result, he was kind of heralded as this is this great quarterback in the preseason. I, I you know, John, <laughs> enjoy it how you want. It's football. It's August. It doesn't mean much. But that's okay. You know, and if you want to overreact, that's one thing. You can be wrong, and it's fine to just let people be wrong. You don't always have to make sure that everyone has the correct thoughts out there. Just let it happen. Live and let live. It's the preseason for fans to have whatever kind of fun that you want. That's my take at least. I agree. We got to spout our I takes. Agree. I guess the, the takeaway from, from what these writers are doing is we have to make sure we get our takes out there. So that's what we'll do right now. Uh, the one other thing before we get on to what I really wanted to talk about this week, Gary, is the fact that there just isn't a lot going on with the Packers in the preseason this year. Uh, we're recording this now on Wednesday night, a, a, a day later than we typically do. And I thought, given that we were, were going an extra day without taping, there would be at least some storyline that would have emerged for the Packers. But that's really not the case. Between the last play of last Thursday's preseason game and now, there's really been only two significant Packers stories. One, the Packers re-signed Brett Good, who they didn't re-sign after the end of last season, but is now back with the team. Okay, that's pretty much all there is to that story. And two, they, they claimed and then later released this defensive lineman, Shaniel Jenkins, about whom I know absolutely nothing. That's been it. There's nothing going on. And with that in mind, we're not even going to bother previewing this next preseason game because, for one, it's three days away. It's not like it's happening tomorrow like last week. And two, what are we going to say that's different than last week? We're going to watch special teams. We're going to watch the backup quarterbacks, and we're going to see how some of these rookie running backs do and a couple of the other positions where the Packers need some depth. That's about it. So instead of doing that this week, we're going to talk about something completely different. Gary, we're talking about project players. What comes to your mind when you think of a project player? Well, uh, besides Jeff Janis? Besides Jeff Janis. Think a little bit more broadly. What is, a, what is a project player to you? Well, to me, I think I, I view a project player as a guy who's going to spend a year or two on the practice squad of an NFL team. Uh, he's going to make a couple of flashy plays in preseason, but potentially new to the sport of football or just raw in terms of changing positions. Uh, typically, the end result of a project player for me is is having a guy that that's controllable, that's uh, not costing you a whole lot, that does one thing and usually one thing only extraordinarily well than anybody else. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way of defining it. A guy who's who's young, inexpensive, and has a long way to go between where he is now and where the team and the player probably ultimately wants him to be. So we're going to look at six guys that I think are project players. Take a look at where we think they are now and what ultimately could be the finished product, ultimate result for this player. So we'll start on offense, and we're going to throw out a name that's been getting a lot of buzz over the last week or two, especially Michael Clark, the six foot six inch, six five and a half, if you want to get technical, receiver out of Marshall, former Division I college basketball player, and he's got a ways to go. Gary, where do you see Michael Clark right now? 
I see him as a guy who's a bit of a one-trick pony, uh, run up and, and catch things in the end zone. I think that's absolutely right. That's what he did at Marshall. That's what he's done in practice so far. People talk about his great leaping catches, and that's the stuff that gets into the paper or gets uh, thrown around on the internet. But what you don't hear about as much is how he struggles with basic things like where to line up, what to do on special teams plays, stuff like that that's second nature for guys that have played the game pretty much their entire lives. Uh, Clark is going on like his third maybe year of organized football at any level. I think he played one year in high school. He played one or two years in college, not maybe not even full seasons. And now here he is in an NFL training camp. Obviously, he has a lot of physical gifts, but he's not there yet. But Gary, where do you see him going someday? What could Michael Clark be? I think he's his ceiling is likely a, a little higher than Jeff Janice's. Uh, his route running in the first preseason game showed me some some glimpses of something that was a little better than a straight line route runner like Jeff Janice is. Uh, I think ultimately, though, uh, you're not going to count on him in special teams. Uh, he's a red zone target, almost um, a bit like a Jimmy Graham type of wide receiver tight end mold. He's got that same kind of body type. Um, I, I, personally, Michael Clark is the exact kind of guy you want in your roster, but you don't want to have Michael Clark's fill your roster when it comes time to play meaningful games, at least in his current state. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely correct. If the Packers are ever in a position this season where they're relying on Michael Clark for significant reps, something has gone horribly wrong. I think you're, you're right in identifying him as a red zone target. I think it's going to be a couple of years before he's, he's relied upon to do any kind of sophisticated route running. But I think you saw a glimpse of what he could be late in that first preseason game where Taysom Hill kind of just threw threw the ball up for him in the end zone and he went and got it. It wasn't even a good fade route or back shoulder throw, but he still caught it for a touchdown. That is kind of the player that they, they're probably looking at him being down the road. Maybe even in the best case scenario, a guy like Ruvel Martin, who is also very, very tall. Uh, maybe that's what Michael Clark could be someday. Let's jump to the defensive side of the ball. And this one may be a little bit of a of a head turner or a shock in terms of, of what we see as a project player. But I, I would consider Josh Jones a bit of a project on defense. And the reason I say that is because he, he doesn't really have a defined position. He's not really he's playing that hybrid sort of linebacker position, but he's not really a safety or a linebacker right now. He's very athletic. He gets to the ball a lot, and he can do a lot of things in the defense right now. But I think down the road, the Packers are probably going to want to, to figure out exactly what he is and, and nail him down into, into some kind of exact role, even if that means creating a role for him. Gary, where do you see Josh Jones right now? I, I think you're right, John. I, I think that Josh Jones is a guy that that gets a lot of hype because he's made those flashy plays, uh, but but he's he's unlike some of these guys the Packers have brought in in the draft the last few years. Thinking of guys like Blake Martinez, who played linebacker at an exceptionally high level for a number of years. I think a guy like Haha Clinton Dix, who uh, you know again high level Alabama system. Uh, Josh Jones was playing, switched from free safety to strong safety his sophomore year in college, 
because they wanted the the NC State wanted to help him make plays that were in front of him. Uh, and, and when he when he declared for the draft, it was really his athletic ability that got him taken where the Packers were, were going to take him up until even this past year. If we look at 2016, uh, for whatever it's worth, the preseason All-ACC team had Josh Jones 10th in safeties before the season started. So uh, Josh Jones is, is an athletic guy, but... Uh, the coaches and the in in the evaluators who were in that that uh, uh, conference, you know, were were kind of waiting to to see him put it all together. It looks like he's got a good start of it in training camp. I'm excited to see what he can contribute this season to the Packers, but uh, I I completely agree that he is a project. Yeah, and it's it's less about figuring out whether he can play than figuring out where and how he's going to play. I think we'll we'll see a little bit of him doing a lot of things this year, and we've seen that already. But, I mean, there's no denying he he's very athletic. He might be the most al- athletic guy in the Packers all around when you talk about speed and strength and all the things that go into, be a great, going, go into being a great football player. How he's going to be used is the real question there. And, you know, to that point, John, March 2017, this is, what, four months ago, his head coach, talking to the NFL Network about Josh Jones, said that, the same question, this, this is a quote, the questions people have on him, that's Josh Jones, are the same ones they had before the combine. Is he ready? He believes he is. Yeah. That's the quote. So even his head coach was asking in March, is, is he ready? Well, we'll see. Uh, maybe not so much this weekend. He did have a bit of a, an injury this week in practice, but I think he's going to be a big part of the Packers' defense this year in a variety of positions, and that could tell us a lot about what he ultimately is as far as uh, his role on the Packers. Let's jump back to the offensive side of the ball and talk about another Packers draft pick from this year a little bit later there. Kofi Amici, the offensive lineman, um, he played left tackle in college. He's looked at as a guard and a center here for the Packers this year. Where do you see him? in in this year's Packers, if at all, he may not end up on the 53-man roster. Yeah, John, I think that's a good point. I, I think it's it's a little too early to count him as a member of the 53-man roster. His standing as a draft pick certainly gives him the inside track if he's neck and neck with an undrafted player. Ultimately, if he's not on the practice squad, he'll be on the 53-man roster, and he likely will will see the field in case of injury, but uh, hard to see him cracking the starting lineup in year one. It really fits the definition of a project player. He is. Uh, I think that he could be ultimately a poor man's sort of J.C. Treader. You know, he doesn't have the reputation as as the sort of cerebral pl- player that Treader was. But if you look at his measurables and you look at his background as a player, it's very similar. Treader was a left tackle in college. Uh, so was Mr. Amici. He transitioned to guard and center in the NFL, and and this is the path that the Packers seem to have their young draft pick on as well. If he could develop that sort of same skill set that Treader did and the ability to line up basically from left tackle to right guard, that would be an incredible valuable or an incredibly valuable contribution to the Packers. Even if he can do that as a, at a low level, uh, say like a, a Don Barkley sort of level. Uh, he sort of goes from left guard to right tackle. If Amici could do that on the left side of the line, that would be a miracle for the Packers. Maybe not a miracle, but certainly a great value for that draft pick. 
Let's move back to defense, talk a little bit more about another defensive back. Uh, this, this one, Josh Hawkins is an interesting case for me because if you didn't know it, you would forget almost entirely that he had a fairly significant role on the Packers last year. He was a member of the active roster for 11 games last year. A, a startling fact because I can hardly remember him being out there at all, yet there it is in, in black and white. Those are the numbers for Hawkins. Last year, it was primarily special teams. He can't just stay there. The Packers have enough guys that are just special teams specific, battling for roster spots. When Dimitri Goodson comes back from his injury, he'll be in that sort of mix there. Uh, Jeff Janis obviously is in that sort of situation. Uh, Jordan Tripp is that kind of player, uh, though he seems to be making some strides on defense. Hawkins is fighting a pretty tough fight if he wants to just be a special teams player but he has a lot of good physical abilities. Where do you see Josh Hawkins right now? John, I think you're a little higher on Josh Hawkins than I am. I sound like a Nancy negative tonight, but I'm, I'm not quite as gung-ho on Hawkins' chances of making the roster. Uh, I think that he was a benefit of, of the Packers' kind of suction cup of death of depth uh, in, in the secondary last year. I I see I see a hard road for him uh, to to even be around this organization, given the investments the Packers have made in cornerback, and you know if a guy like uh, if 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 another one of these undrafted guys uh, shows something of equal level to Josh Hawkins, perhaps uh, you know you'll take a guy a year younger on the practice squad over Hawkins. Uh, I think he's got to show something else in in the preseason, just as he did last year. I believe he had an interception in that final preseason game. He's got to show something. Well, the thing that Hawkins has going for him that I think even a lot of the the undrafted pre, uh, free agents from this year don't have. So you think of guys like Lindsey Pipkins, Donatello Brown, and Rayshon Pringle. Those are the three of the most prominent undrafted free agents from this season at Hawkins' position. He has prodigious athleticism. If you look at his pro day numbers from East Carolina and take them with a grain of salt because they are from a pro day, but mid four threes in the 40 yard dash, uh, a broad jump of 10 feet, five inches, a vertical jump of 40 and a half inches. Those are pretty eye popping numbers. Those would be up with the best that anybody or that anybody has ever posted among the, the people the Packers have drafted in the Ted Thompson era. Um, Sam Shields was just a little bit better in the 40 yard dash. Those guys don't grow on trees, and and he's going to get a long look just because of that. But as we kind of said up top, he has to show that he's more than just that workout warrior. And that, I think, where, where what you said comes in puts him in conflict with the guys like a Lindsey Pipkins who had great performances in a preseason game. So, so where does that weigh out, Gary, you think, potential with athleticism versus performance? How, how do you make that call? I'd rather have a guy at this stage of the Packers roster construction that can perform versus potential. And it's a short-sighted approach, but given Rogers age and where we're at on this Packers roster, I think it's time to, to start favoring ever so slightly. Again, we've talked about this a lot over the off season here, ever so slightly start to move the needle from a promise to production. Well, when you talk about promise, our next guy fits pretty closely into the maybe platonic ideal of, of potential when it comes to a player. He's athletic as any wide receiver the Packers have drafted in the Thompson era. Uh, he's He's got the, the pedigree of 
uh, great press clippings, at least as far as, as his career dating back to high school. He played at a big college in the SEC, and he had a, an auspicious debut for, I guess, a, a sort of terrible reason last week. We're talking about Malachi Dupree, a project-wide receiver if there ever was one, and he's in a battle for a roster spot. Where do you see Malachi Dupree right now? I want to see him healthy. And if if he really did just walk away from that nasty hit with just a concussion, boy, is that great news? Yeah, I, I think his, yeah, I think his, I think he's he's gonna need a year. He looks physically. You watch him run the routes. You watch him move on that offense. He looks like he's got a little bit of a, a, a of that it factor that feels like a total cliche cop out football guy kind of thing to say, but. I do think Dupree is is someone that if I were the Packers, I would want to invest at least another year of development into him. And you can see why that's why they took him in the seventh round. Uh, I think Dupree sticks around for another year. Certainly kind of, I think of him as, as a, maybe a Devonte Adams type role in the offense. Uh, if he were to, to, to kind of get to that maximum potential. I think that's a good comparison because he's not, not a guy who's going to blow you away with his speed. Uh, and Devontae Adams certainly is not that either. But where he, where he excels is separating when the ball is in the air, a great leaping ability and great length. Dupree has all of those things um, in spades. Uh, he's, he's a very athletic player, though, though not a burner when it comes to speed. Like you, I think the the best thing that he can do right now is just get healthy. And I predicted um, with a couple of our colleagues at Acme Packing Company after after last week's injury that he is probably going to make a trip to injured reserve sooner rather than later. Um, unless he comes back very quickly from this concussion, I think it, uh, it's a, a great opportunity to stash him for a year, you know, let him develop his body and come back at, at full 100% health at the start of next season. Whether or not the Packers do that is, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that factor into that, but I think he's got a ways to go and he's very, uh, very slightly built. I think, you know, I think he would benefit from a year of just not having to worry about fighting for a roster spot. Just, just get healthy and we'll, we'll start this process again next year. Any other thoughts on, on Dupree before we move on to our final guy? All I'll say, John, is your final guy is your biggest man crush, whether you're ready or not to admit it. <laughs> I can't get away from this guy. I, I've switched from the camp of Jonathan Calvin uh, over to Reggie Gilbert. And Gary, why don't you explain why he's my man crush? I'm interested in your thoughts. Well, John, I've always viewed you as a Calvinist. <laughs> um, so it was it was strong. It was interesting to see you switch over to Gilbert's side here. I think, John, what you like about Gilbert is is his balance of, you know, again, we talk about production over potential. I think he has enough of both in spades. The Packers have a lot of guys that that fit that mold, but Gilbert kind of gives you that Andy Malumba vibe, doesn't he? Yes, very much so. In fact, they're almost exactly the same size. I think Malumba was six foot three and 260 or 255. Gilbert, 6'3", 261 cut from the same cloth the very same cloth and uh so so gilbert and calvin i guess i i almost looped jonathan calvin into this too because he he's the same sort of player as gilbert just a, a bit of a year behind the curve um gilbert played as that sort of tweener defensive end in college 
a little bit of stand-up experience, but not a lot. Now the Packers are trying to make him into a stand-up pass rusher, the edge rusher, the outside linebacker. He's big and he's strong, and I think he could be that sort of depth pass rusher type guy like a J. Rohn Elliott that maybe grows into a bigger role down the road. That's where I see him right now. Do you see him as somebody who may be making a roster push? I think so. I think the Packers outside linebacking core is uh, very much all are welcome right now to borrow a line from a famous hymn. I think if anyone wants to jump in and dominate and make a roster spot on, in any place on the, on, the, uh, on the roster, it's outside linebacker. Anybody, it seems, has a shot there. Every year, in fact, it seems like undrafted or undrafted free agents really have a shot at outside linebacker or, or edge rusher or whatever you want to call it. And, and in the defensive backfield, the Packers kept a, a boatload of defensive backs last year, and they seem to do that almost every year. Um, I think Gilbert is benefiting in a big way right now from Vince Beagle being injured. And if Beagle's injury holds on much longer, he might start the season on the, the physically unable to perform list. Although we don't get a lot of information about injury, so that could change at any time. But I, I like Gilbert's chances, and, and he seemed to have a pretty good game last week in the preseason. Any other project players that we didn't mention here that, that jump out to you? I, I put this list together. Do you have any, any players that you like to watch? You know, John, it's just disappointing, again, uh, to, to hear you slight the man that uh, is the first word on my lips when I wake up and the last to leave my lips when I go to bed, and that's wide receiver Max McCaffrey. Tell me about Max McCaffrey. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts on McCaffrey? What, what makes him a project player in your mind? <laughs> I really just love the idea of Max McCaffrey it, for two reasons. I think... First, uh, my sports addiction, call it whatever you want to call it, is based on the the symmetry and the beauty in between on the numbers and the storylines that interweave between all these sports. And an example is is McCaffrey. Here's a guy whose father played, you know, at a very high level and was part of a team that essentially gave a, a ended the the 1990s Packers dynasty. His son comes to, you know, his son at the time, Max McCaffrey celebrated on the field in Super Bowl 32, and now he's trying to make the Packers roster. I love his story. I love the the other fact that Christian McCaffrey, his younger brother, was the darling of every mock draft, sending him to Green Bay before it comes, and, and we don't get him, and we still have a McCaffrey on the roster. I think that uh, he's one of those guys much in the mold of Alex Gillette, and before him... Jared Aberderis, where uh, you really um, <laughs> the fans see themselves in in him. He's a tryhard guy, and boy, uh, I just sure would be something to see Max McCaffrey out there um, in the regular season. But maybe he just needs more time to implement his system. You know, I like that he's number thirteen. I think that's a lot of fun. I like I like the weird numbers that get tossed around in the preseason. Um, and 13, for whatever reason, is fun to see on a receiver. It, it seems like he's... I hate the teens. I wish they'd get rid of that for wide receivers. I hate them. Well, what other, what numbers would you have then? I mean, the, the pack, you got to have numbers for teens, or you got to have numbers in the 80s for tight ends and receivers. That's a lot. I guess so. I, I mean, it, maybe, maybe the 90s. I, I really like 
I really like uh, how 99 looks on the Yankees' Aaron Judge. Uh, I, I get a kick out of that. I also get a kick of the reason he picked 99 was he showed up to, tra- to spring training one day, and that was the number that the team had just assigned him, which is usually what they do to those young players. They'll give him a high 90s number, and he just never changed it. Yeah, and I usually the idea is that they're going to pick a different number later on when they ultimately make the right. league roster. But, I mean, right. 99 seems to fit him. Let's talk about uh, jersey numbers for a second. What is the best fit on the Packers right now between – player and jersey number boy that's a great question give me jake ryan and 47 does anybody look more like a 47 than jake ryan boy that was going to be my first pick too he either him or or vince beagle at 45 although it would have been great if beagle could have had 47 but i love that uh jake ryan has 47 because that's what he wore in college and i love that it makes him look like i love that in college it made him look like a a palette swapped version of aj hawk (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. Because he kind of had that long blonde hair too and also wore number 47. What about on offense? Who do you like there? Ty Montgomery, 88. Yeah, he's a good 88. Well, if 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 Montgomery switched to a running back number, this is a number this is a a question I have put a lot of thought into and I don't have a good answer here. But if the NFL well, I do. if the 25 N- 25 you think that would have been a good one? I think one? he'd be a great 25. I I think that that's a good one. Yeah. You couldn't have had him be over number 30. Uh, I guess one. No, one, no, he's got to be in the twenties. One last number question: Does it bother you that Aaron Ripkowski wears number twenty-two? No. Why should he wear thirty? No, he needs to. I thought. I think fullbacks need an ugly number, like forty-six or like something like that. <laughs> if if fullbacks could wear a number in the fifties, I think they should be required to do that. Like, well, given the number of games, especially like that Detroit game in the regular season finale where Aaron Ripkowski was almost the bell cow of that Packers offense, I'm willing to give him number 22. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, I, I thought William Henderson was a much better number 33 than a 30. Well, you know, that, well, that'll have to be – you'll have to have me on again and we can talk for 30 minutes about that because I've probably got about 30 minutes of – William Henderson takes for you. I think about this stuff way too much because part of the thing that I do when I play Madden, after I go through an offseason, I have all my new draft picks, is I have to go through and make sure that all of the new draft picks have appropriate numbers for the kind of yes. player I envision them as and the, and the players that I think they are. I'll give you an example because why not? I just drafted a receiver who's 96 on – or a, a running back who's very fast, a little scat back type, and he wanted to pick number 46. Well, you just – you can't have that. That just doesn't make sense. He's going to be no. He's number twenty six. Travon Burge is number twenty six, not forty six. You can't have forty six for that kind of player. I don't. And that's what you get thirty one minutes into a Packers podcast. This is where it Hot goes. Madden takes. Well, Gary, while I've got you here, I just wanted to thank you for all of your hard work uh, on the podcast and really on the power sweep as a whole. I know your role is going to be a little less visible than it's been. Um, throughout this first year of the power sweep, but really the site would not exist at all. I was going to say first in, in its form, in its current form, but it really wouldn't exist at all without all your great behind the scenes work and all the work that you've done over the past year. So I wanted to thank you for that uh, formally on the podcast and, and you are not going to be forgotten because you're still going to be working, although not appearing as often on Blue 58. So thank you very much for that. And uh, I appreciate it, John. Would, it's a pleasure to work with you. Would you play us out? Where can the good people find us? Well, they can find us on the internet. You can find us uh, on our website at www.thepowersweep.com. 
You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at The Power Sweep in both locations. If you want to send an email to us, we love hearing from you. We are ThePowerSweep1959 at gmail.com. We absolutely love our interactions with you, our fans, every week. It's so much fun to hear from you. All of your feedback helps John make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans. And smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. For Gary Zillaby, I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.